Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends, or your family, and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Gary Spencer Smith, was born in the UK and as a young man served in the Royal Navy, traveling the world with over 100 foreign country visits, including his active service in Bosnia, Iraq, and the Afghanistan conflicts. From naval intelligence to earning his degree in electronics engineering, Gary has always been a top performer. But an injury during his service created the fork in the road he needed, and that took him on a path that resulted in him achieving his boyhood dream of living in Canada. Gary is a long-term RAIN member, and uh, since that time, Gary has started two award-winning companies, has grown a substantial real estate portfolio, including his most recent endeavor, which we're going to talk a lot about today, and what he calls an adventure, which is owning a waterfront resort on Sprout Lake in British Columbia, which includes rental cabins, houses, houseboats, and a pub and a restaurant. Listen in as Gary and I discuss his lessons learned as he shares his journey of a real estate investor and a top performing entrepreneur. Listen in. Gary Spencer, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. So great to have you on the show. Welcome, man. Thank you, Patrick. It's actually, um, I was speaking to Chrissy just about coming on. I quickly want to get this out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, it's like, I can only describe it as in a sports analogy. It's like I listen to you guys and the people on it, and I think of them as the pros that I look and admire. And to be on it, I feel like I'm stepping on a rink that I shouldn't be playing on. Oh, isn't that <laughs> so interesting? Like, uh-huh. I, um, 
yeah, I'm honored to be here. So thanks. Well, yeah, but in classic uh, Gary style, you're uh, you're stepping into it and uh, totally owning it. So um, you know that's the cool part about all of this, right? So now for the listeners out there, Gary. Okay, let's talk. You know, it's, it, the 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 easiest way to get going on any of this is uh, tell me a little bit about you. Why, you know, what is, who is Gary when today? And then we're going to work backwards to where you kind of started because where you are today with Christy and family is quite a quite a journey and uh, very interesting. And, uh, and that's why I wanted to talk to you because you've done some really, really cool things and excited to hear more about your story and both, you know, just in real estate and overall the business that you're uh, now into. So tell me a little bit about who Gary is. So I'm uh, my other partner is Chrissy, as you mentioned already. So Chrissy and I are together. We've got four kids between us, um, two each. We brought into the mix. I invest in real estate, which was a side hustle that became a full time gig and working around real estate. And then more recently, we just purchased a holiday resort using some techniques from real estate, and that's basically my, I guess, retirement job now. So on the lakefront on Sprout Lake on Vancouver Island. So, you know, you said that really quickly. So, you know, but, but when did, let's go back. So I guess you took all that and, you know, condensed it into a 16 second soundbite. So that's very good. But tell me a little bit about your real estate journey. I mean, you've been part of the rain community for quite some time. And tell me, when did you start your real estate journey? I got into real estate, owning real estate at 21. I was lucky, unlucky. My uh, father passed away when I was 21. And my mom, and they were separated, she was like, you know what, you need to buy a house. <clears throat> so I had enough to put down for a deposit. So I actually got on the property ladder ahead of my age. Like I wasn't in a condo. I was in like, you know, a, a house, a full house. I remember salespeople knocking on the door saying like, is your mom or dad in? <laughs> and I was mm-hmm. like, no, sorry, they're not here. Because <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be in that house. And I don't know fully where it came from. And I believe it was a friend, you know, just one of those pieces of information that just sunk in your ear one day and someone said, oh, such and such owns rentals and he gets X, Y, Z a month. And something must have clicked because from about that age, you know, 21, 22, I can remember saying, I want to have about three rentals. That plus my pension. I used to be in the military. I was in the Royal Navy for 11 years. So I figured with my pension and three rentals, that would be a decent retirement. Mm-hmm. When I went to move down the south coast of England, so it'd be like moving from a, you know, a cheaper location to a higher, lo- higher, more expensive location. Mm-hmm. I wanted to keep the original house. My uh, wife at the time, now ex-wife, was dead set against rentals because her dad had been in it. She'd seen the headaches, the trash departments, the toilets, the calls, all of that. So we sold that house moved down to a more expensive area, doubled the mortgage, halved the income. And I remember just looking back in hindsight going, that wasn't the right decision at that time. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's lessons that you learn along the way. And then when I moved, left the military, I got injured and pensioned out. I just kept that original house. And that was my first rental. We had it managed. It was fully hands off. And it was purely a math decision. I did the math. Hey, if I move here and rent here, I'm going to be 50 bucks or hundred bucks. It wasn't much. I'm going to be better off every month. And that was basically the start. And then we emigrated to Canada. And my first deliberate iron buying a rental was 2000 and end of 2008, 2009. So really early on there. So, and that was basically for my kids to go to college. That was the reason I got it. I thought, hey, tenant's going to pay the mortgage down. That'll pay for the kids to go to college. And luckily, none of them have went to college. So we get to keep the money. 
(laughs) (laughs) Bonus. So, but tell me a little bit, Gary, because when you consider, you know, like, so first off, I'm always interested, you know, you're in the UK, I mean, beautiful part of the world. And what drove your immigration into Canada? What, What brought you to Canada? So my grandma's sister, she passed away just at post-war and her family lived over in Canada. She was married to a Canadian, had kids. And those kids went to the UK, lived with my grandma about four or five years, around that much time, and then came back to Canada once the dad had left the army. And they always kept in touch with my grandma. You know, they were like brothers and sisters to my dad. So they were, they were a tight, you know, always, always kept connected. And for my 80th, my grandma's 80th, they flew her out to Canada. And then my dad said, hey, do you want to go out to Canada? I remember thinking at the time, where the hell's Canada? And it was, <laughs> I was like 15, 16. So it's, you know, I was, I wouldn't say I was an angel at that age. I was a bit of a tearaway as a teenage kid. And then I came across the Canada and it was just home. Like I just felt like home. And I remember like my uncle had a place on the lake and the cousins were all 19. And it was like, wow, this is such a beautiful place. Like what a lifestyle. And then since when I went back to the UK, you know, I then took up skiing, all this kind of stuff. And it just, it fit the lifestyle that I want to lead. And it was always a goal from then. I remember telling people, you know, at 16, I'm going to move to Canada one day. I didn't know how, when, where, but it was just, that was it, set in stone. Now, did you immigrate into Canada as in, into, sorry, into British Columbia right away? Or did you, or did you start somewhere else? No, I I came to BC straight away. Um, once I got pension out of the Navy, that's when it was... Because my plan was to retire here after I'd done my 22 years. So I would have been 40, coming across and retiring. And I um, I remember just thinking, let's go now. Like, why wait? And my grandma was in a home at the time, and she was 96. And I remember one of my aunties saying, just go, Gary. You know, she could live till she's 110. Like, don't hold your life up, you know, waiting for her to pass away. And uh, I jumped on a plane, came on holiday, got a job lined up in Merritt, of all places. Mm-hmm. I, and while I was on that holiday, I bought a house on Vancouver Island. And uh, so the family came, lived on Vancouver Island. I worked away in Merritt for what would have been six months, but ended up being a year. And then once I got my permanent residence, that was it, back down to the island. So Okay, so just give me some timelines here. So you made the decision when you were 16, and, and, then, and then when did it... When did you, from decision to when you finally made the move, what was your so time? The decision was 1993. Yeah. That was summer of 93. I was 60. Yeah, I was 16 years old. Yeah. And then I kind of, I remember going back, looking on the knock list, and there was all these jobs that you could apply for. And the top one was nurse. And I remember saying to my mom, I'm going to be a nurse. Now, my mom is a nurse. She was like, Gary, there is no effing way you are going to be a nurse. Like, don't be so stupid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, she laid down some of the things she does. And I was like, you know what, mom, you're right. I'm not going to be a nurse. So I kind of just, I mean, I went to college. I dosed around. I was, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I remember walking past the careers office one day and just darted in there, asked them, said, hey, I'd like to learn a trade, you know, something with my hands. So I went into the military, loved that life. Like, it was just I mean, I was lucky as well. Like, even though we, you know, we were in Bosnia, the Iraq conflict, Afghanistan, all those places, it's different in the Navy because you're on task, but then you go to Dubai while you restock the ship Mm. and then you go back on task. So you're not like sitting in the sand for seven, eight months. So you get to all these amazing places. So I got to over a hundred foreign visits. I did some super cool things. Like I've lay in the, in the pyramid 
where King Ramsey's, I've actually lay in the, uh, what's it, sarcophagus, like yeah. where he's, where the the, um, the mummy was, I've actually lay in that in the top of the pyramid, <laughs> the marble box. Remember looking up thinking, wow, a couple of thousand years ago, this guy was, there was a mummy lying here. <laughs> Just stuff you wouldn't do as a sure. normal civilian. Like I wouldn't sure. go on holiday to do that. Right. And I, I just loved the life. And I thought, hey, I'm going to do this for the 22 years. I was only joining for four originally. That was it. Four, get some money, start a business. That was kind of my headset. And and that was the life plan. And then, as we all know, things change in an instant. Yep. Uh, I got injured, pensioned out. I just finished my engineering degree through the military. So just short of 11 years. And they went, no, we're not sending you back to sea. Off you go, there's a pension. So that was when I was like, that was 2006. Mm-hmm. So in 2007, it took me you know, a while. I did a bit of research, came on holiday, bought the house, got a job lined up in Merritt and came across. And I thought, ah, oh, Merritt, Vancouver Island's not that far. It's only like four hour drive. I can commute on weekends. <laughs> <laughs> and then you forget about these ferries that they've got in to the island. That it's like, there's some oh, water, yeah, there's some water yeah, in between like, all that. Oh my God. So I was getting home, you know, Friday at midnight and then leaving Sunday at lunchtime to get back at midnight in Merritt to start a week's work. So it was a, Interesting, yeah. Yeah, so, I yeah. bet. So, okay, so then you started, You then you got peaked around real estate sometime around, did you say 09? Is that what I heard? So when I first came across, I couldn't get a mortgage, immigrant, yeah. no credit. So yeah. I actually had a huge line of credit. On my I, just have to, I just have to interrupt here because Rain talks about the cycle of immigration all of the time. And one of the things we say is that people come into Canada, then they got to figure out where they're going to work, then they got to establish credit. It's one of the things we say. So, and, and they don't know exactly where they're going to live. So they generally rent for about two years. So I'm, as I'm listening to you, you, you actually fall into and are describing exactly how immigration generally works, at least up to this part of your story. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. So no. <laughs> you're trying to do all the stuff and get credit and get settled in and, and all the stuff that you're doing. So sorry to interrupt. No, that's all, all, all good. So I actually bought a house before I came across. Mm. And I remember like at the time, everyone was, you know, reading the news as, as we know not to listen to in the UK. It's like, oh, the market's going to crash. It's going to fail. It's going to. So I was like, I'm going to sell my house in the UK, buy a house in Canada, even if I didn't get across that year, because now it didn't matter what happened in the market because mm-hmm. that's where I was going to live. So I didn't care if it was worth a dollar or a million. I, mm-hmm. I'm tied to the market I'm living in. So it's irrelevant. And then... My ex and the kids, they lived in on Vancouver Island, just in Port Alberni there. And I would live in Merritt. So I rented for six months up in Merritt. And then I moved in with some friends that are actually from my hometown in the UK. I remember going into Boston Pizza and seeing my own soccer team up on the wall and thinking, okay, this guy's got to be from Newcastle. And so we're still good friends to this day. We invest together and everything. So I did that for another six months living with those guys. And then when I came down... After a year, I had enough credit that I could pull some money out of, you know, re- actually get a mortgage, pull some money out. And that's when we bought the first rental. So when did you move to the island? Uh, so 2008. 2008 yeah. was the actual time that you moved in. And, yeah. and then what fired you up? Like what got you, you know, it's one thing to buy a little bit of real estate or buy your first home, your first property. But what was kind of the inspiration for actually taking that in and saying, I'm going to invest in real estate? And kind of describe a little bit about that journey, Gary. I think where that bug was planted in my head, you know, it was seeing other people that had generated a couple of hundred extra dollars. It wasn't anything crazy. And then this, wherever this plan came from to have three rentals plus my pension, 
And I was just thinking, if I can get $1,000 per house once I paid off over my working career, mm-hmm. plus my pension, that's four or $5,000 a month. I can live off that. That was kind of where I was at. There was no crazy dreams, you know, or anything like that. It was just, it just made sense. And then the price to get into my first rental, because you could buy a second home back then with 5% down. Mm-hmm. So I bought my second home for people visiting from the UK because you had to have a reason. And then put some tenants in it. And it was just, I think it it was a numbers for me. I just, you know, look at the numbers. The numbers make sense. And I knew I could manage a property. I mean, I have some skills, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer by trade, but, you know, I can wire plumb, like I have skills around houses. So I knew it wasn't going to cost me a lot to fix repair because that was just tax shouldn't say cost a lot. It's costing my time, which is now more valuable than the money, I realized. Sure. But at the time, I figured, you know, that's an easy thing to do. So it wasn't any delusions of grandeur. I figured, again, 15 years before my kids go to college, I looked at the principal pay down 15 years and thought, that's a great college fund right there. So, Well, that becomes, you know, it's so interesting. We, you know, we often teach that within the RAIN community, as you know, is, you know, having people look at where they're putting capital and why it just makes sense to invest in real estate, especially for a college university type education, because, and then, and then at the end of it, you still own the asset, you know, you can pull capital off, you can do all sorts of things. Anyways, it's a great strategy to use. So you applied it. Now, when did you become a uh, part of the rain community? About 2010, I first became a member mm-hmm. and that was when you would get the CDs sent out and I'd listen sure. to them in the car. <laughs> yeah. I, I first did one of those, um, rich dad, poor dad type seminars, you know, where it's like the free, the $500. And then it's like, Hey, it's 10 grand, put it on your credit card. (laughs) And just something there was like, you know, what? doesn't seem quite right. Just the way you've just, you know, yesterday you told me to increase my credit card limit. Now you want me to use it. Like, (laughs) So it it, kind of didn't vibe with me. Whereas I think, you know, anyone who's listened to to Don speak, Mm -hmm. it was just, genuine mm-hmm. and i think that resonated with me it was on the right frequency but i didn't use the community or the systems it was just oh, i'm an investor i'm listening to don on the radio of course i am and i think around the time that i was getting divorced so 2012 13 around then i kind of dropped out of rain for a year and then i came back in but then i made the commitment that i'm going to start going to the meetings and that was when we would get on the ferry because it's a day off right so i actually committed to to doing it. So probably I'd say 14, 15 was when I was like an active coming, listening, doing. That was probably my first acre as well. Yeah. Because I hadn't actually done an acre till then. So acre was it was the acre event pretty, you know, it it often is, I don't want to say life-changing, although we've had many describe it that way, but it really is the catalyst often for uh, going to the next level of investing in real estate. So just out of curiosity, was the, did Acre do that for you as well, Gary? Or or did it just confirm what you already knew? No, I mean, definitely not. I wouldn't say I already know. It's it's a nice grounding. I would call it a foundational reminder as well. So you can read all the books, but to actually hear someone and say it in the right way. I mean, some people are going to go there and, and they're just not going to connect per se. And others, you know, for me, it just made sense. There was no hype. There was no... This is, you know, huge numbers. Um, and I think, again, listening to, to Don speak then, it was, you know what? It doesn't have to be crazy. You buy two or three houses, you manage them well over 20 years, you're going to do okay. Mm-hmm. And that whole concept, and I think not the, you know, without being upsold 10, 15, 20, $30,000 of stuff, mm-hmm. 
it was just nice to get that information and to, you know, then take that and apply it. I mean, it's okay getting the information, but you got to go use it. And I was trying to make up my own systems to do stuff because I'm still systems, you know, military systems, that's kind of thing. And then if I was asking people for help, I was having to explain my systems. So I thought, well, why not just use the systems that everyone else is using? Then I can ask for help and it's simple. And once I, you know, do what others have done successfully and apply it, it was amazing. Stuff just started to work. It started to work. <laughs> it's like, why didn't I think of this earlier? Well, you know, what's interesting about all this, Gary, is that, you know, for me being part of the rain community for as many years as I have and working with so many real estate investors, you know, the context of this podcast is seemingly ordinary, achieving extraordinary. So when we listen to your story, it's a pretty, it's a, it's an interesting story and, 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 but it's a pretty ordinary story. You know, you did your military, you immigrated to Canada. That's all, all awesome. You go through all the life changes of, uh, you know, divorce and kids and all of the things that happen, which is all pretty how life works, isn't it? You know, we all have that, but here we are today and, and it's really what Gary and, and well, you and Christy, I know Christy's a big part of what supports, you know, you guys doing what you do, but you know, and here you are today. And the reason that, you know, I've invited you on the podcast was because you've, you've, you've taken that game that you played in the world of real estate and you really kind of up-leveled it. You were inspired to look at what you wanted to do in your life and then work backwards from that in terms of how real estate got you there. So I want to talk about, what do we call it? A resort? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So you bought a resort. So you bought a resort on a freaking beautiful lake in a beautiful part of British Columbia, and you're doing your thing. So why don't you give us a little bit of background of the resort, and then I want to know about how the hell did you pull that off. I know I want to hear about how you're doing, given COVID and all the things that are going on, and, and I'm sure, like everybody, you've had your challenges, but that's what I want to hear about. Because really, you just methodically keep moving forward. And, and that's really what is uh, inspiring for those uh, that are that know you and are part of your life or are at least watching what you've got going on. So take me back a little bit and tell me about the resort and then how you got there. So, let's, so I'll tell you a quick bit about the resort and then we'll go on. So the resort is uh, 12 houseboats, 15-person houseboats. It's five rental cabins. Now another house that's going to be Airbnb'd, uh, six bedrooms. And there's a four-bedroom house and there's a 110-person pub and restaurant. So that's the resort. It's four and a half, five acres-ish of waterfront on Sprout Lake. Now Sprout Lake is where my uncle used to have a house when I came on holiday at 16 and all my cousins were 19. So the pub was actually the first place I ever got drunk in my life. And my cousins took me there and now we own that pub. So it's quite serendipitous. How it, and that was no plan. There was no plan to have not. this at 16. It just, that's how it came about. I love those stories, by the way. That's a, that's a great story. So that's cool. <laughs> and, and then, um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, Chris has been a big part of supporting what we've done from, you know, 2014. Got to get the dates right. <laughs> when we got together of just supporting each step of the journey. And it's not, you know, people from outside looking in see the Instagram life and it's not been easy. Let's just say, you know, I've always felt like, and I'll explain it, like the duck. My feet are always going a hundred miles an hour. I feel like I'm just trying to stay afloat and it's nice to come and be part of, you know, the ring community and just get 
I don't even want to say validation, but just hear that people are going through the same journeys as you. And it's, you know, a grounding, let's say a grounding, it's a grounding back to the basics. It's like, okay, I've got time to breathe. I'm just moving forward. And then two years ago, because we knew the people, we lived on the lake anyway, already had a place there. So this was our local. So we would go down, we knew the owners. We sat and had a talk to them a couple of years, uh, three years ago now we heard they were selling it. And it was, you know, he offered to do a bit of vendor financing. And it, it didn't make sense at that time. It wasn't, I looked at the business, I'm like, wow, you got a restaurant, you got this. It's two businesses effectively together. So I'm like two big companies. And I was like, you would need to almost just lease the restaurant out. That, that was my mindset. And then thought nothing of it. Then a year later, a couple of uh, people approached us just asking my advice about real estate. And they were looking at doing a bed and breakfast. So they were asking about certain properties. And I was like, you know, I wouldn't buy that property. And I went, sure, the bed and breakfast is doing great on the numbers, but it's been for sale ever since I've been in Canada. So, like, you know, 14 years. So when you want to get out, sure, it cash flows now. But when you want out, how long are you going to sell it for? Because unless someone wants that particular property right there, it's just not worth the money. Mm -hmm. So I said, why don't you look at the lake? buy a house, do your bed and breakfast in your little restaurant thing that you want to do. And if you need to sell the business, hey, the, the property is going to be worth the business anyway. So they went and looked at another piece of property and the numbers didn't work on that. And then somebody told us the fish and duck was still for sale. I thought it had already sold. So I went, contacted Aaron and Sheila, who was, they'd owned it for like 30 years, contacted them, had a chat with them, went back to this couple and said, look, there's two businesses. Are you interested in partnering in? So we partnered in, they were going to run the pub and restaurant and we would run the houseboats and the rentals and the houses. Fast forward, and it's funny because I listened to um, you and Stephanie the other day, you know, talking about the values-based conversations that we did not have. Mm. (laughs) So needless to say, you know, there was things starting to crop up within that partnership. And um, it was like, you know, there's something just not quite right. And we had joint venture partners, private capital, all through my network, and um, I know you've had Neville, App- Neville Appwood from Snowboard Addiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of our partners. That's awesome. Um, yeah, he's <laughs> fantastic. Um, and well, what's interesting about Nev is that just by the way, just by you know knowing you uh, uh, to the degree I know you, and knowing Nev to the degree I know him, there's there's lots of alignment in there, just in uh, you know business savvy alone, let alone passion for business and real estate. So that that's that's cool. It makes sense that alignment. By the way. I think Neb just wanted to have somewhere to wake surf all summer. <laughs> I gotta get. I can't be on the snow. I gotta. I may I as well do it the on most the water. I on the surfboat compared to anyone that we were in. Classic Neb. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's great because it gives me an excuse to stop and play when he comes down. <laughs> That's awesome. And yeah, that partnership led down a path where it just it wasn't quite working out. And I actually had a phone call to our investors, and it was quite a serious phone call because COVID was coming about. We'd had a you know as directors with the other partners, we'd said, stop spending. And they were like going and spending, but we all have our names on the accounts. And we said, you know, everyone's now, so we know who's buying what. And all of a sudden, Chrissy's got these bills on her credit card where they were just still spending after we'd agreed in a director's meeting to not spend. And he's like, well, it's on the account. I'm like, that's still spending. And then as you know, Lauren, my daughter was on American Idol. So I was down in the States and I come back, I've got this bill and it's got my name on it. And I look at the date and it's when I was in LA mm. and I'm just like, okay, that's just not right. There's just, you know, that kind of, and I think they were giving, paying lip service to us 
but had another thing in their mind what they were doing. Sure. And I just so with that, luckily, and this is why I brought Never Nev's lawyers had wrote something into the contracts on his side that protected his capital if something like this happened. Mm-hmm. So anyway, our I phoned Nev and said, "Look, this is what's going on. I I value." you as a person more than this business partnership over here. So I, uh, I informed him and he basically had the power to take over the company and then reallocate as he saw fit. Mm-hmm. So we then moved those partners on and we came back into business together. Well, you know something, there's a couple, there's a big lesson in that. I mean, you know, aside from the values-based conversations that, you know, you referred to that Stephanie and I talk about, I mean, those are big lessons to get to begin with, right? And it's one of the reasons that we really love the type of coaching we do because it's so important, but, and that's cool. But what's really cool about this is that you did something that so many people step over in these situations, which is you had a great contract and that contract was what allowed you to kind of get out of what you were into probably, uh, as, as challenging as it might've been, it's almost impossible to get out with, you know, and, and save some, uh, some capital, if you will, or do it in a way that isn't just blow up your whole life, you know, without a contract or without. And I a- can't take credit for that. That yeah. was hundred percent, you know, Nev's lawyer on that. Yeah. And the other partners were actually in with zero money down, zero risk. They had the, the world was their oyster. Yeah, if yeah. they just, you know, not being the way they had been. So they actually blew a great opportunity mm-hmm. just by, and I'm going to use the word ego, like the guys, even when they were moving out, they were telling people, no one's ever going to come to this place if we're not part of it. And I'm like, dude, people have been coming here eating, you know, for years. greasy pub sure. food for 30 years. <laughs> like, get over yourself. Like, if you and I die tomorrow, it's on the lake. It's the only pub on the lake. People are going to come and drink. Doesn't matter what you and I do. Yeah. So it was. Um, well, yeah, what I, I love think- about what I love about this story, Gary, is that it's it's just what is. It's just it's just real life. It's just as the shit that goes on in business sometimes and. We learn our lessons. We have to, you know, we have to pivot. We have to change. We have to shift what you've managed to do, you and Nev. So tell me a little bit about now that you've kind of, you're in that world and then COVID hits in March. I mean, that was kind of, what was the timing of COVID going into your season and how did that impact you? Did it make you busier? Although like, because people were traveling within British Columbia and, and their own home provinces overall right across Canada that what kind of challenges, if any, did it cause, or was it was COVID good for you? How did that all work out for you? It, it was, it was a blessing and a, and a shock at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it really highlighted who was doing what within the business. You know, I mean, we we had, you know, our we and we were spending because we had bookings coming in, and we were just spending because we were literally renovating a whole resort. So we were redoing a pub, a restaurant. There wasn't, I don't want to say there wasn't a budget, but on the pub and restaurant side, we kept asking for budgets, you know, so we could plan mm-hmm. and we just weren't getting that information back. So we were like running blind spending. So, which is never a good situation. Yeah. That can really take the, in those moments in time, it's like, you're feeling out of control. I've been in that situation many times and it does feel like you're just totally out of control. And, and, and uh, you're arguing over like, why are we spending $10,000 on chairs? We don't need, like, no one's ever left this pub going, the chairs are shitty, I'm not coming back. Like, mm-hmm. ever. I'm like, we can go by with this, get a year under our belt. And I, when we were starting out, I said the houseboats are not supporting the restaurant. They have to each support themselves. Sure. Otherwise, why open the restaurant? It just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Or keep it open, sorry. And 
the guy who, Aaron and Sheila, had managed it for 30 years. They had it dialed in, albeit, you know, nothing was online. There was no marketing. There was no, but they ran a great business, a very successful, very profitable business. And I'm like, if we just do exactly what they've done, we'll be okay. And if we improve it where there was room to improve, then we can get better. But I think, um, you know, people were so bothered about image and ego that they were forgetting that. So it was, um, COVID came out. The other people were supposed to come up with their share of the money, which they didn't. So they had no money invested. I'd actually raised it privately through my network of my friends. And, you know, two of them were like good friends. And one of them was on his way down to all the paperwork was out. Like it was ready to be signed. The lawyers had written everything out. And my friend was driving down to um, Disney, to the States. He got to the border and he got turned around. At that point, he phoned me and said, this is more than we think it's going to be. I can't afford it. And it was, it wasn't, I mean, I, sh- I shouldn't say it wasn't a lot of money. It wasn't a huge amount. It was $150,000. Mm-hmm. He said, I cannot invest that not knowing what's going on in my business for the next little while. So he withdrew. And because of that, it enabled the escrow to be triggered on Nev's side because all the cash wasn't put in. So it was a blessing on that side because it allowed a mechanism to be implemented that wouldn't have been implemented otherwise and I'd have been stuck with a shitty partner. So that was a total blessing. The downside was now the tap that was coming in just shut off, totally shut off. And, you know, then the phones ring in, people wanting their money back, people wanting their, and it's like, look, deposits are there. We'll credit them forward, and it, but and you just, you know, you're making stuff up as it happens. It's like, we need a policy for COVID. Okay, what's everyone else doing? So we were trying to copy what other people were doing in the tourism industry. And then all of a sudden we could open in June. So now we could open and then July and August were the two busiest July and August on record just <laughs> with, with people coming. And it was very hard to herd cats because you got 15 people wanting to just go let loose and you're trying to keep them in this little bubble and escort them down to the boat, stay on the boat, don't get drunk. And I mean, yeah, it was, we were lucky the time frames of all the shutdowns at openings because had it been a month or two either way, then I wouldn't be having this conversation now. I'd be out selling all my stuff at a, a garage sale. Well, there, yeah. <laughs> listen, you know something? It's uh, it's interesting how COVID is. And, uh, you know, I won't go off on a, on a tangent, but we'll circle back to that conversation. So what, what I like about, you know, this whole, you know, kind of story is that you were then went out and you raised some capital. Is that my understanding of what you had to yeah. do? And, and I mean, those are interesting skills to have. So were you then raising capital uh, out of desperation? Did you, uh, yes, I know the answer to that question is yes, but had you raised capital before? What were some of the things that, you know, you found yourself kind of doing? Were you being innovative? Did you get some guidance? How did you, how did you go about that project? So, I'll circle back a second. So the original owners were going to vendor take back a good portion. Yep. You know, a, a 3.5. Yeah. So they're carrying million. it. Yep. So they were going to carry that interest only for five years. So we got a good rate, a good, you know, and that was the conversation with the owner saying, what are you going to do with the money? Mm-hmm. Are you going to park it? What kind of return do you want? And then it was like, well, would you carry this? And he also wanted a chunk of money down. So when we first stepped in, we give him a $50,000 non-refundable. Then we give him another six hundred and fifty. Um, again, non-refundable, and then we had to give them another six fifty in a in a time frame, which was roughly around the time of COVID came out. Yeah. 
So we'd rate, and the other partners were meant to sell the business that they had, and then they were going to put their share in, and I had mine already raised through private capital through friends. So there wasn't, when they couldn't sell the boat, I then went to you know my network again and just was asking people who'd be interested and offering them the share structure, and they all came in as shareholders. So that was what was going to happen, and then COVID happened, and it changed, and the share structure all changed, and things like that, so... We had to come up with 1.3 and then we bought it for 3.5 plus. The, so 4.8 was the total, but the land assets, the land and assets yep. were worth at a fire sale about five. So yeah. it was, it was a real estate play with a business that pays for the real estate. It wasn't really a, I'm buying a business. Yeah. But, the, and I get that that's, you know, but that's actually just, that's also smart. Right. But there was something else about the business was because you'd already kind of in your brain, as I recall, Gary, um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that outcome, that resort was kind of what you th- saw yourself doing in the long term, because, you know, running that resort w- was was a cool place to hang out in, number one. The the challenge with that, that kind of stuff is often as people's recreation uh, becomes your business, which is it's never the right timing because they're always recreating while you're working. But that's a different conversation. I'm sure you're discovering that. But when you look at part of what you get to do in that is was that still... Was that part of the, your kind of your vision, your dream for you and the family? I wouldn't say it was the dream starting out, mm-hmm. but I certainly had a, a very, you know, we bought the house at the lake, but I, I never really felt settled. You know, I was still hustling. We had the property management business running on the side, which was a lot of my income, which again was an accidental business. But uh, it was, I was going out all the time away from the lake and I was never there. Whereas now, you know, I'm never going to stop. I'm just, you know, I, I can't sit down. It drives me insane to sit still and do nothing. Mm-hmm. So I'm always going to be a, at the very least a tinkerer as, as I go on. So I saw this as a business that I could set up, systemize, get some processes, hire correctly, and then I can just tinker along the way and be at the lake every day. And, you know, it's nice. I mean, it's a beautiful place. You know, it's 30, 30 degrees most of the time in the valley here in the summer. And, you know, I, I caught myself this year driving along stressing because I was heading to fix something because everyone's falling because the world's ending when they're on a boat and something doesn't work. Sure. I'm heading out of this houseboat and it's usually the hot tub. So I'm heading out to fix the hot tub on this boat because it's a first world problem. And I was like heading out and I remember like catching myself going, why are you rushing and creating this feeling that you've got within yourself? You know, so I just ease back the throttle, kick back. And I'm like, I'm cruising along on a lake. It's the middle of the day. I'm going to just switch a hot tub on. Like, this isn't bad. It's not Afghanistan. Like... <laughs> I was like, this is a good life. And it was like reminder of myself to ground myself. So it became this, when I was looking at it, it became a lifestyle that I want to lead for the foreseeable future. You know, it's interesting is that that moment in time where you were aware enough to catch yourself, to take your foot off the throttle, take your, you know, back off on that boat, enjoy the beauty of where you are, take a breath and go hold it. It's just a hot tub you know, and they'll get handled. They'll probably drink a dozen beer before you get there and it'll all be good. So, I mean, but that's an awareness uh, and, an, you know, that's kind of the evolution of of maturity in terms of operating a business. So sometimes we look at things, we get really intense about it and taking that breath is kind of really, it's just a wise thing when we start to then appreciate what we've created for ourselves. And you've done an amazing job at this point of creating what you wanted, uh, which is a, it's a cool real estate play with a business on top of it, which I think is 
freaking brilliant on a lake. I love it. I love it. It's awesome. And it's nice having Nev as a partner because when he comes down and he's literally coming to play, he's not coming to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you're like, Gary, stop. Take 15 minutes. Come and we're going out for five hours, but come and take 15 minutes. Have a quick surf and come back. Nothing's, no one's going to die in that 15 minutes. Yeah. And to take those moments, you know, I, I think ultimately the, the goal within this is to create more of those 15 minute breaks where you're actually doing stuff and enjoying it and experiencing the, the things that you're creating for other people. You know, we talked this year, we're going to go early next year into the season and all the, you know, the partners and stuff, get them all down and we'll take a houseboat each. And we'll just go out and beach somewhere and, you know, socialize a bit together and talk about what the season's going to be like and get into that. Just enjoy what we've got versus just, I felt like I've always chased for like 20 years. You know, even when I was, had my job within the military, you know, just guaranteed paycheck, I was always chasing, you know, you're like trying to get somewhere. And now I feel like I'm actually, I actually am somewhere to like, enjoy that bit while I'm within it. Cause you don't know how long it could last tomorrow. Anything could happen, anything. So it's like enjoying it for now. Well, I see, you know, I think that COVID has, uh, has certainly created that. I, you know, I, it's interesting about COVID is that, you know, as we sit here today, I've got two retail businesses in Edmonton, well, a retail businesses, two locations, and the city has it's in its professional skate service, pro skate, which I've had for 35 years. City of Edmonton locked down the arenas. No sports, no hockey. Now, we took the hit in March. You know, we go through that. We do all the things we do to adjust. Now, we and we actually were we're going, oh, hey, listen, we're back in. Everything's really, really great. And as we sit here today, like literally, uh, you know, come the new year, I don't know if I'm going to continue with that business. I may literally have to shut it down. And it's just, it, you go, wow. Didn't see that coming, you know, back in the beginning of 2020, right? And uh, so it's an interesting time, and it's, uh, you know, it's, and of course because of all the controversy around it, the inconsistent with politicians and, you know, and health and data and you know, and and how divisive this whole subject is, you know, mask, no mask, COVID, no COVID, pandemic, plandemic. It's it's exhausting even in it. And, uh, you know, people are having to make business decisions. So you, like you say, the, the point of that whole little rant was just to say that you're right, you know, enjoy it while you've got it going on, run it as and operate it as effectively and efficiently as you can, which I know you are, and then uh, enjoy it. So I think there's a, there's a really strong lesson in all of that, Gary. I think when people talk about planning as well, and this is where I came to, so we used to have my, my first business in Canada was uh, the one on the wall. Actually, it was a leadership skill development company. Mm -hmm. So we used to focus on um, people's vision, mission for life, uh, teamwork, planning, negotiate, compromise, all these skills that we developed through games. And I used to tell people who were developing plans, I'm like, okay, I imagine this is a plan. I'm 16 years old and I want to move to Canada. So I'm going to write out my plan and I'm going to go back go to college, drop out of college because I was really just dossing around. And then I'm going to join the military, do 11 years in the military, get injured, get pensioned out after I finish my degree, which will give me enough points to emigrate to Canada. Then I'm going to move, get a job up in Merritt. Then, and I go through this whole stuff to where I got to where I am today. I'm like, you could not write that plan as a 16-year-old. And likewise, you know, you can give yourself a direction or you can give yourself, you know, some steps, but you really can't do more than the next three steps because after you've done them, everything's changed. 
like you change as a person. So if you say, hey, I'm going to go from A to Z, by the time you do A, B, and C, that path might change because you've changed and you've developed and you've grown or shrank, depend, or the world's changed something instantly. So it's it's seeing what's going on. And I don't want to say I'm always happy because I still feel like I'm juggling and shuffling right now because of what we've got going on in the world. Mm-hmm. But I'm clear on the next three steps. And I think as long as I know those next three steps that I'm taking, it gives me that purpose for the next week and month. And then we'll see what happens and react to that. Not too much future thinking and uh, staying present to what's going on. And that's probably the most effective thing to do in life in general, and certainly more so now than ever with uh, given what's happening pandemic-wise. So tell me something, Gary. I mean, you've obviously got a pretty entrepreneurial spirit. Do you know where that comes from? I got a pretty good idea. I think um, I saw my dad. So he was a captain in the Navy, uh, Merchant Navy, not the real one. And uh, <laughs> all the Merchant Navy people now, I used to bug him about that. And then when he left, he started a company in France doing surveying of yachts and captaining ship. And he, he basically lived a lifestyle. I mean, he had his issues and stuff as well, which ultimately led to where he passed away. But I think I saw him, I had an admiration for his, I remember him showing me, you know, his letterhead and his business. And I must've been like eight or nine. And that must've just sunk in. Mm. And then as a teenager, you know, as a, my mom raised us by herself. So we didn't have a lot of money. So I remember going to get a job and thinking, okay, I'll go buy my own then. So I got a paper round. I worked as a milk round on a Saturday morning, which is actually the physically hardest job I've ever done. You think it's like, you know, the milkman, Tiny milk at the day. And it's not. This this floats moving along and you are literally running for eight hours straight with bottles in crates, running to doors, jumping over hedges. And it was like so which paid absolute atrocious, by the way. So I had to work harder in all these crappily paid jobs. But I was always a bit of a dreamer. So I remember like at 16, I had two ideas for businesses. One was a uh, cleaning napkins and um, doing laundry for restaurants. And I priced it out. I priced out the equipment. I priced the locations. I had all this business. I say business plan. A business plan as a 16-year-old, right? You know, sure. back of a napkin. Went to a bank and the bank's like, yeah, we're not giving you money. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, this is this is a gold mine right here. And it just, um, so. But it'll, hold got- on, hold on, stop for a second. You're 16 <laughs> years old and you went to the bank? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's ballsy. I mean, who who the hell is it even thinking in terms of that? I mean, that's that's an interesting part of uh, somebody's character that they would go into a bank at sixteen. That was your dad going to get your ass in there and try it. What? what no, actually, not a, not just, at all. I, no, so my, that's what I'm asking. Where's that coming from? Yeah. So I worked on a hot dog van when I was like fifteen, sixteen. So you know, you get dropped at a pub ten o'clock at night. You'd work till one a.m. and the guy would come pick us up because we couldn't drive then. And I remember one week saying, "Hey, can I rent your van off you?" So I would have been like 15 or 16. So I paid to rent the van, bought all the stuff. And then he he drove me to the bar that I wanted to be outside of. And then that was my first real entrepreneurial business, which actually was a loss. I ended up losing money. I don't know how. I'm sure the girl working for me was till dipping, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a an eye-opener for me of like, okay, you can lose money. It's not all just golden. So I was a bit more careful in that. You know, you kind of like with your friends, you have, you're trying to have ideas to come up with money because you've gotten on. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, you know, look at these restaurants, how much do they pay? So I, I did some research. I went and asked them how much to pay for their 
plus. I'd ask the restaurant owners, I'd said, so if I can give you a trial at half the price of what you're paying now, if I can do an equal or better service, would you change to me? And they were like, yeah, we would. As long as you can match the service that we're doing. You know, I priced out a van. Like I did everything. I had it all done. And then I went to the bank and the bank's just like, no, you're not 18. And you leave school at 16 in the UK. So you're already in the adult world, Mm -hmm. but you're not an adult. So you're like a child in, in the adult world. And I didn't have any idea how to get money. And I didn't know, you know, I'm not going, my mom, you know, if she was working hard, I'm not, she, she's not going to co-sign a loan for me. Like she, I'm an idiot, 16 year old. What the hell do I know? And it was just from that, I had a couple of knockbacks. And I think that's probably what took me to the Navy. Cause I remember thinking, okay, if I do this for three, four years, this is how much to get paid. I could save this money. And then I could, then I could start a business. That was my mindset of going into the Navy. And then you go in the Navy and realize that you spend every paycheck in all the foreign ports and come back owing more money than what you went away with. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, <laughs> so I, I guess I had a bit of entrepreneurial spirit like that. But I guess what ignited it really over here was um, a friend introduced me to an MLM, you know, and, and through that. And that was purely just to save some money on taxes. That's how I got, you know, get the home based business kind of thing. And from that, I got introduced to certain books. You're around people that are typically entrepreneurial by nature. And I just, I guess it grew from that. And obviously one of those books was uh, the Rich Dad Poor Dad book. So that was where I was like, see, I was right about real estate. (laughs) I just needed to do more of that. (laughs) I mean, it's so interesting that, you know, when you follow your journey and and, and you think about what you learned in the army and, and I mean, there really are no ac- accidents in that regard. I mean, now you're in a resort and you've got all the skills that you've got in terms of being that real handy guy that can do a lot of stuff. Probably the discipline that comes with, or not army, but Navy, probably, that probably hurt, right? When I said army, didn't it? I didn't you want go, to correct it. I was go, like, oh, oh <laughs> freaking France, he's not listening to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the Navy. <laughs> So the Navy, uh, all the skills and the discipline that you learn within that environment, and then here you are today. So when you consider the the journey to this, now, do you still have your property management company that you had? I actually just sold it um, last year, and mm-hmm. I did it on a rent-to-own to the guy that worked for us. Oh, okay. There you go. So you exited that, and and are you now just focused on the resort and and kind of putting any other kind of real estate investment on hold until you get some cash reserves going again, get some focus happening again, where you are on your, on that whole journey. Are you just kind of focused right here right now? No, I guess. So I did buy a commercial property at 2024, a big commercial property just before the resort came up as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So we were probably 90% complete in that. So we are going to finish that conversion up now. Mm -hmm. I've took another partner on, who's going to take some of our shares out of that commercial property and he's going to become more active within this and he has the skill set for it. And then I'm also looking at creating a, a fund for want of a better word. I'm just going to get, you know, friends and people that we know together and put a pot together and we're going to continue to play. Cause I think there's going to be some amazing opportunities come up with some great buying opportunities and some opportunities to help people get out of shit basically. Cause I feel like we haven't even seen the real impact of things that are going to happen. I mean, you mentioned yourself, the stores, you know, you may have to close them, you were saying, Mm -hmm. but you have other revenues coming in. Some people don't, and that is literally what they're living off. And, you know, people don't have real estate to fall back on. Mm -hmm. 
So I think, um, sure, it's sad that that's going to happen to them regardless. But if you can help it not get worse, then why not? So I'd like to have a pot of cash ready for that. So that's what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. And, and the resort itself, that's going to be, I mean, from May till October, it's full time. I don't have any time. So, I mean, luckily I've got a bit of a team around the real estate with Carissa and Doug on the revenue side that help us out and keep everything organized on that side. And sometimes it's just conversations. You know, you have a conversation with someone and they're like, I'm interested. I've got X, Y, Z. I'm happy to drop that in. So, but you made, you made it just a good point there, which is, I mean, you, you've got a lot going on. So as in, in regards to, you know, just your own kind of view of the world and what you would give for guidance to other real estate investors, for example, or other business owners, like, how do you, you know, I mean, are you, are you that entrepreneur that's working 24 seven? Have you, you talk about a team? How do you create the capacity to take on the projects that you do and continue to build and grow real estate plus run your business? I mean, this is, uh, I would suggest is your down season for, uh, fish and duck. Is it fish and duck? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Fish fish and duck. duck. And, um, so it's your down season, um, that frees up some time, but I mean, then you're also renovating a house and doing all the things. So tell me, how do you, where do you get the capacity to do all that? I think initially, and I guess this will be most people's journey. When you first start a business, unless you're intentionally like, you know, you're a business mind and you, you're intentionally building a team. I think most people just get either sick of the job or sick of working for someone else and just become self-employed. And I'd say that's probably where I was heading mm-hmm. or did head, I should say. And I became self-employed, which gave me a bit more control over my time. And then from that, I guess uh, my ego was about, you know, I'm, I'm the best thing since sliced bread in my business and growth. Once you get over that and you start to realize that the stuff you think you're good at, when you hire someone who's really good at it, and you realize, wow, I actually suck at that. That gives you that capacity to step further. And now I'm, you know, even with the resort, we're looking at just getting the systems up and running and implementing the right people so I don't have to be involved in that daily business. Same for real estate. It's finding the right people that complement. I mean, I, I would say I'm a, I'm a good visionary and problem solver. Mm-hmm. Like if problems happen, I can figure stuff out. Sometimes a little too creative, which creates its own problems. But I think, I guess, once my ego subsided and I was willing to let others take over and do, and even sometimes people might not do it as good as you, but that's okay. Because that allow that frees you up to do ten things versus, you know, the two that you might be take up all your time. Such a big shift to have as an entrepreneur and as a business owner is 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 actually realizing that your job is to surround yourself with people that are better and smarter than you are, and then letting them do what they do. You know, that's ultimately that's a big shift to take for most small business owners, though. So it's interesting. Now, your wife Christy is a has been in the past a, a coach. And, and she's does a really great job. So how's their success with you? So, so I'm saying still... that smiling. Because... <laughs> <laughs> so Chrissy's still coaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, she kind of took the summer, not a, I don't want to say back burner, but she certainly scaled it down while the summer was going on. We had a, in the office and doing the HR and managing that side of the business. And uh, <laughs> there's a few times, you know, on the radio calls to people, because she doesn't like being told what to do. 
So when you've got customers telling her what to do, it's like, <laughs> so, so we said she's not allowed to speak on the radio to people anymore. Uh, and it's, this isn't her passion either. Yeah. Like, you know, this is, yes, you know, she supports me 110% in everything she do. Physically support me by doing jobs within that business. I just could not have done it by myself. But her passion is her coaching. And I think um, our lifestyle goals are to be where, like I said, we're not involved every day in everything. I, I talk about creating the perfect day and as many of them as you can. When I'm speaking to people and I'm like, what does your perfect day look like? What does it entail? And can you build a life around that? And how does real estate help me achieve that? Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I'm going now with, with all these real estate plays. Um, what, so what's your, what are you working backwards from? Like when you, you know, some, you know, I talk to rain members every day and, and within our own coaching world, we're talking to people all the time that they're, they're they, they say, well, I want to retire yet. They don't really have a vision of retirement. Um, but what are you working backwards from out of curiosity? Because you're building a great business, you're building, you know, an asset base of real estate. You're doing all the things that you're doing. Do you have a, a target that you're working backwards from? So the perfect day for me is to wake up and not have to go somewhere. Like, I don't want to be dictated that you've got to be here at eight o'clock. Although I had to be here for nine for this. Yeah. But this is something I want to do. So I don't want to be, you know, ordered, for want of a better word, by whatever it is. So wake up, enjoy my morning. Like, you know, get through whatever your morning routine is that you want to do at that time, whether that's a fitness or a medic, whatever it is, do your morning routine. Then about 10 o'clock, then check in, just check in. I don't want to have to go do that's so check in, speak to the people within the team that you need to make sure things are going right. Offer advice. Then at lunchtime, I want to be able to go out with whoever I want to go have lunch with at that time. Mm-hmm. And if they can't afford it, be able to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And just, it's not a question. Mm-hmm. And in an afternoon, do a soul filling activity, whether that's wake surfing, skiing, hanging out with your friend, like something, you know, hike, whatever it is that's going to light you up and energize you have that in the afternoon. And on an evening, go out with some interesting, amazing people, have some great quality food, experience that kind of stuff, you know, some nice wine, a great meal with a great people, and then spend some quality time with Chrissy on the evening. That's my perfect day. So I'm like, how does what I'm doing support that? Mm-hmm. And if right now, if I can do 20 of those a year, great. And then what can I do to create 50? And then I want to drive an, a decent vehicle. I don't want to drive a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. I want to go on nice holidays. I want to be able to go to the UK and see family whenever. I don't want to be, you know, oh, I've got to save up for three years to go have that trip. I want to be able to, you know, something happens and get on a plane tomorrow. And there's a number associated around that and living that lifestyle, the house I want to have, all that. So it was just reverse engineering that number, figuring out what that costs, and then making sure the real estate provides that. So, you know, but, you know, it's interesting, Gary, is that. I love that level of clarity you have around, you know, your perfect day. And I'm sure if we spent some time on it, you would actually go even deeper into it. And and how common it is to have people that don't have that level of clarity. Now, I'm sure Chrissy sees that in her coaching business and then your background, whatever that was in some personal development aspect of it. Is that where you, de- where you got to that? Is that where you, you, you know, or, or was that also part, was that part of your training or was that part of, of just your nature? 
I think there's definitely a nature side. Like I've always enjoyed doing stuff with people, even like, you know, the, the toys that we buy, it's not because it's not so much of a, it's not for the symbol of having it. You know, the dirt bike I bought wasn't because I want that kind of bike. It's because I want to have a good bike that doesn't break down and I can go and do some fun stuff with my friends. Same with the, the boats that we buy. It's not because I want to have a boat parked in front. It's because when family and friends come over, I want to go do those fun things with them and not be dictated to by something else. And if I buy an old junker, I don't want to be fixing it. You know, oh, this is broke again. I want to have something that it's like, it works. Mm-hmm. So same for the vehicle. You know, I, I like to have a, I'm not one that's going to fix, even though I have the skills, I don't want to be fixing my truck on a weekend. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be, oh, I'm changing the brakes. I, mean, I want everything just to work. Mm-hmm. So because nowhere in my perfect day was I getting covered in oil, as much as I like to tinker and fiddle with things, that's going to be a hobby, not because I have to do it. That's an, it's interesting that you say that. And, and once again, it's, it's, you, I note the clarity that you have because it's not common, although it's normal for you, might be normal for me. It's not normal for many. And so I, I, that's why I want to draw attention to it. But like you, you know, we, we live out on a beautiful acreage and love it, love it. But I resisted buying an acreage for the longest time because I said, until I find a property that I don't have to be totally responsible for, because I love tinkering. I'm like you. I'm very handy. There's not much I can't fix. Uh, and I, I just love doing that shit. Like, but I want to do it in a place of choice. So in other words, the day I don't want to mow the lawn is the day that I'm going to be able to say somebody else will mow the lawn. And until we found that property where I knew that it could be managed, somebody else would be, you know, uh, you know, either living on the property or close to the property, I wasn't ready to pull the trigger because I'm like you. When I want to change oil, I'll change oil. And when I don't, I don't. So that's just the way, you know, but that's the clarity that helps you create that kind of that life. But I want to go back to your dirt bike because uh, you're a dirt bike guy. Yep. <laughs> and uh, you you had a pretty wicked injury a couple of years ago. So tell me a little bit about, I just want to hear a little bit about that injury because you uh, you crashed your toy or what did you do? What did you do, Gary? So I'd, I'd, I'd had a... Were, a were the famous, hold up, first first off, just tell me this. <laughs> were the, the parting words as you took off, hey guys, hold my beer, watch this? <laughs> no. no, okay, cute. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I'd had a crappy day. And, and my, I guess, Zen place is in the mountains or on the water. That's it. Just where I like to be. Sure. So I was like, I'm going out for a ride. And just off I went by myself. The week before I'd been out with friends, lay my bike down and snap the clutch lever. So I had like half a clutch lever. And I was like, play my oh, I can still ride. So I went out. I went up right up into the hills around the lake. And I totally, you know, I think what I like about riding is you're focused. There's nothing else going on because you're watching what's going on and you're, you're in that. It's like playing soccer as well. I love playing soccer because whatever's going on in the world, it, it's gone for those that time that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, I guess it's like a meditation with an engine. And I would, I'd been out riding. I was way out. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm far out here. I should go back just in case. There's a curse, right? Law of attraction. And I'm coming down this old logging road and there's the deactivation sections and what i normally do is roll into them pull the clutch flick the clutch and like jump out (laughs) Uh, of course course you do so it's coming back in second gear coming downhill which is not that fast i'm maybe doing 30 ish and i went to pull the clutch hit a rock at the time my finger slipped off the clutch and it did what's called the whiskey throttle and i just fell back hit the throttle 
and it just launched. And instead of rolling into the deactivation, it just took off, went sideways. And I'm like, I'm not holding on to this. So I let go of the bike. It's flying through the air. The bike hit the upside and I slammed into the bike, mm. chest and leg. And I felt my leg hit the frame and I've got all the gear on. I, I don't ride sure. without it. Yeah, yeah. And I was so winded. I remember like, I couldn't breathe. I remember thinking, shit, this is it. <laughs> like, and then I started to get my breath back and I thought, okay, I can breathe. And I knew I'd hit my leg. And I looked down, I'm like, you know, nothing's sticking out. And I'm like, okay, I think I broke it, but there's nothing hurting yet. So my brain just went into, okay, I've got about a minute to get this figured out before this pain's going to start. So I'm like picking my bike up and I was thinking, if I can get on and start it, I can ride out because I'm in the middle of nowhere. I just, I couldn't put that foot down because every time I put it down, I could feel everything moving inside my boot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, so I threw my bike back down, took my backpack off and I'm like, shit. And then... Everything started to hurt at that point. And it was just, okay, I've, I've hurt my leg and I've managed to get my cell phone out and I'm looking and I'm like, how do you phone 911 and tell them where you are? Like, where are you? I'm in the bush. Like, I couldn't even describe it. So luckily I share location with Chrissy, who's the worst person to phone in an emergency if someone's hurt because it's like panic. So I phone, I'm like, okay, I'm hurt pretty bad, but I'm okay. You need to phone an ambulance and find out where I am on location and share that. So she goes, phones me back, your location's turned off. So I'm like going into settings and, and then she said, phone's 911. She said, you've got a phone on me, can track you, which I didn't know. So I phone 911 and they're like, okay, just stay on the phone. And then the phone cuts off, lose my signal. So I turn my phone off and on. And there was friends that I ride with. I phoned one of them and said, remember where we said we were going to go? He's like, yeah, I went, that's where I am. Mm. I said, can you please come out? I'm going to need like someone. So it took an hour for the ambulance to get out to me. It was like an hour and a half before we got back to the hospital. And that pain was the worst pain I've ever felt. It was 15-ish breaks in my leg. Um, it just, the impact just shattered everything. So all spiral fractures. So I've got a titanium rod and screws and it's probably the end of my professional soccer career dream is over (laughs) (laughs) it it was actually a humbling thing because i went back to play for the first time a few weeks ago it's been like two and a half years since i played and my speed was always some that was my game like i was quick i used to run 110.9 i used to do decathlon in the navy all that kind of stuff to have someone say it's okay i can catch him up like that was like really like that was like oh I never heard that too. it was a yeah it was a humbling experience for sure I mean it was nice to get out but yeah mm. but the one thing that I did learn through that was I remember being in the ambulance and the ambulance driver or the ambulance assistant sorry that was helping me she was uh, the paramedic I should give him the correct terms she said uh, oh you're going to miss work then and I said well it's actually all right I don't need to go to work to get paid so I've got houses. And by this time, I'm whatever drugs are on, I'm away with it. And she said, uh, she said, oh, we had a rental as well, but it was such a nightmare. We sold it. I went, oh, you did? Oh, and did you make money? She said, yeah, about 50 grand. And I said, so if you added up all the days in total that it was a total nightmare, how many days would it be? She went, oh, I don't know, like 20, 30. I went, so for 30 days of headaches, you made $50,000. I went, that must suck. <laughs> and you could see the cops in my head. The stories and, uh, we tell it, ourselves. It actually made me appreciate you know, having the team around, you know, we had Chris uh, working for revenue and stuff like that. Chrissy, obviously a diamond at home. It was like, it was like having an angel around to look after me because I was not an easy patient. Yeah. Uh, luckily the World Cup was on at the time. So I got to watch all the games. Beautiful. So tell me something, Gary. Uh, 
have you ever heard of the app what three words no okay dude I'm, and i'm not joking about this so what three words and this is good for anybody listening to this so what three words and it's a perfect application for you and for your guests as a matter of fact if you were to insist that uh, all of your guests download that app, you would then have another level of safety because what three words was designed for the exactly the reason that you had. So what three words triangulates everywhere in the world, anywhere in the world, in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of the world, it will tell you on that app what three words. And it, it's a guy who designed this app and it takes three words. There's only 47,000 words, but it will put you within three feet of your location. So in other words, you and it doesn't take a lot on the app. So in other words, when you pull that app, you had one bar. When you could have phoned 911, and when they said, where are you? You go, here's my three words. They would have go, see you there shortly. You don't have to try and describe it or anything else. So when you're, for some of your houseboats, you know, whatever GPS system you might have. But in other words, if they don't know where they are, you just go, what are your three words? So anyways, I pass that on. Um, okay. That's, I'm going to get that. I mean, Chrissy bought me spot actually. It's sitting there. <laughs> now, yeah. so I've got the GPS tracker. <laughs> I, I like, I, it will actually track. So pro is the accuracy is really interesting. The application of it is like, I don't know where to use it, but in that scenario you just described, plus whatever yeah. you got on your houseboats. So anyways, I take this minute to describe it for people. What's what three words? It's very cool, especially if you're a hiker, uh, you know, because if something did occur or you came across something that occurred, you can literally phone 911, give them those three words and they'll know exactly where you are. It's not like, you know, there's a green tree over there and take the one that's split, you know, it's like not that. And so uh, it's a really cool application. Uh, I did a little bit of research on it, but I, I've literally used it in my home and it will tell me that I'm in one side of the house or the other and like, and tell me how far I, I am apart. Like it's, it's really, so really cool. Do you have cool. to be in cell range for that or is it satellite? Uh, I want to say, now I don't remember. I'm thinking if it was cell towers, each tower would just have a different word and it would triangulate the No, position. it doesn't do that. Like, no, it, you can, because you can be in the middle of the, the ocean or the desert and use it. So there's got to be some satellite okay. shit going on there somewhere. Hmm. Look into it. Anyways, well, I digress. I, I digress. I can't even believe I went off on that rabbit hole, but I think it's a good tip for listeners as well. Okay. So let me, let me talk to you about just briefly. I want to, uh, I want you were, you're, you've got to be a very proud father. Your daughter went on to American Idol with an amazing voice, all because you were being that dad that was, I, I don't want to say all because, but that, that was part of what started the journey, I believe. You're driving down the road and you, you know, Lauren's singing to you and, and, or she's singing, probably not necessarily to you. Yeah, but just all the time. <laughs> all the time. But anyway, so uh, you catch that on video. It goes viral. Like, I don't know how many millions of people it went to, but it was... It's like about 34 million right now. I think it's, it's sitting at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she's an all-star. So so you go to American Idol. How was that experience for you? You had to be pretty pretty fun and exciting, probably some stress in there and excitement. And how was that experience? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll take a step back because she's had this... To see Lauren, she had that passion from like three. Like you could just see she loved doing it. We bought a, you know, a Hannah Montana karaoke machine. Regretted at the time. when um, She was like four or five, something like that. And she's, she's just singing, performing and... She has a natural ability, but she's also mastered her craft. Mm -hmm. And that's what I try and tell people. You know, everyone's like, oh, she's naturally born like that. I'm like, 
No, she's mastered her craft every day since she was five years old. Like she's mm-hmm. developed that talent. Sure, she has a natural tone, natural ability. But even, you know, the video that went viral, like that wouldn't have happened had some of the, let's say, the negative things in life not occurred mm-hmm. because we wouldn't have been in that position. So you, you never know what's going to happen when and you kind of, you know, see foresee or plan those kind of things. Sure. And then when she sang with Keith Urban when she was 11. So that was the first one. And that's when I like... Yeah, she I won a competition, up. right? Like she won a competition. Yeah, it was like a radio competition. Yeah. She actually lost the competition. Mm-hmm. And then Keith Urban's camp phone and said, no, we still want to sing with her. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of like a secret thing that they'd organized for the... Um, and it was like know, somewhere between twelve and 20,000 people in the crowd. Sure. And she was 11. So it was like, as soon as she came out, she was like, yep, I want to be a singer. Like that just <laughs> solidified it first. Like that was awesome. And um. And then American Idol was kind of not necessarily, I mean, it's all, everything happens for a reason. It wasn't necessarily the, the planned thing for her. And we did it. She was, she was going well. And it was just going to be, I think a lot of people don't realize the people on that show, they're not working. Mm-hmm. They're like, they have no income. They have, I know Lauren's young, so it's not a job, but all these adults that you see, like they are giving up their life for like three to six months mm-hmm. to pursue this. So it's a lot of sacrifice for them, which I got to see behind the scenes. Sure. And then when you get to meet the people around it, it's like a family. So, you know, the top 20 contestants that were in LA, they're all living in this complex. They're all, so it was kind of cool to hang around with them. I mean, Louis Knight, one of the other contestants, I still bug him to this day. He was like, you know, I'll send little texts joking with him and stuff. It was nice to see that family unity, get to see, a, you know, she missed out on getting the full TV, the cameras, the lights, because COVID happened. We all got sent home and she got to do it like that. Mm-hmm. But it ended up working out really well for her. You know, she met her now the lawyer that's part of her team. So again, she she's met some great people that are now in her team helping her progress. And I think having this COVID as well for her, it's given a bit of delay on everything. Mm-hmm to help her figure stuff out. Cause it was like a snowball. Everything was just happening. And we don't know. I mean, we've never dealt in that. I could only relate it in my head to sport. It's like all of a sudden your kids picked up as a sport. Now they're trying to get them into the Stanley cup final into the, and it's just, is this the right move? So you're always thinking, is it right? Are they developed? Mm-hmm. Is she really where she, I mean, she's nowhere near where her full potential is, but she's got some great irons in the fire that post COVID, she's going to be back down to LA and into New York and, She's got a great, you know, uh, a lawyer that's part of a team, like a godsend. It's like having a dad that really gives a shit. And it's nice to have that because I don't feel that was there initially. Mm-hmm. Not on my side, but, you know, the, the first yeah. team people that were coming in, definitely, yeah, it's it's nice to see this David guy. I've, I actually sent him a message the other week saying, you know what, I really appreciate having you in the corner that I don't have to think about what's going on with Lauren because she's strong. I mean, she's 17. But oh, yes, she is. knows what she wants. Yes, she's, she does. And even the last six months, I've seen her, I guess, develop even further. Proud moment the other day was she actually said, Dad, I've got a new plan. I was speaking to the lawyer and I'm thinking I'm just going to buy a house next year as a rental that I can live in when I come back. I put a suite in it on the island. And then that way, if I want to get out of LA, I've got a place I can stay on the island. And, <laughs> I was just like, oh, that's so proud. <laughs> got a tear. But even if it doesn't take off music-wise, sure. you know, she, she's got a chance to earn decent money, and she does. But it's it's not what you spend; it's what you get to keep in the end, or how you how you use that to support an ongoing lifestyle. Yeah. But to see her starting to think like that straight away, I'm like, oh, that's great. So. 
Great story. Well, uh, congratulations. Like I say, proud dad moment and uh, more to come on that, I'm sure. So, Gary, as we kind of wind down the show, um, I like to get to my top 10 kind of quick questions uh, for my guests. Have some fun. And um, yep, for that game. Sure. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's go. Okay. Now you, you sound a little bit worried with that, but don't be, it's all, it's all good. <laughs> so tell me something as you go through your day, you, you talk about kind of what your perfect day is, but, uh, and having the time, do you have a kind of a self-care routine, a morning routine workout? What do you do? Do you meditate? Do you journal? Do you have some kind of a daily practice to look after yourself, Gary? I think the biggest one I do now is in the morning, I don't rush out of bed. I, you know, I set alarms for certain times, but I don't jump up. I'm not like, uh, alarm goes off at seven, I'm out of bed at seven or one. I like to sit there and just, I'm not meditating, but I just like to breathe. I'm not picking my phone up and looking at it. So I just like to, like I say, relax or wake up because then I go into my day. I found that I go into my day correctly. I'm not rushing and then panicking and forgetting. And Because my brain is a scatter, so I need to calm myself before I start. So that, that's probably the main routine. And my, my life is active. Yeah, you're so I stay pretty fit anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's such a, you know, you bring a, an interesting point up and there's some guidance there for anybody is to really, when you open your eyes, just to take a few minutes to get grounded, think about your day, kind of really wake up. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a practice of, uh, you know, some people have of just actually showing gratitude for the start of the day. You know, it's just being in that mindset and having that thought process rather than to your point, reaching over if you have your phone in your room and doing all the things that we can have a tendency to do. So good one. Do you have a favorite book or one that you was kind of pivotal for you? One that you like to gift out? Is, is there a book that stands oh, out for I'll, you? I'll give you three on that. So the Rich Dad Poor Dad was definitely a pivotal moment yeah. for me. Yeah. One that I recommend to people just to listen is um, Sapiens by Yuval Harari. Mm. It is such an amazing book, just about the history of humanity and how we've evolved. Because Sapiens, you know, there was, what, 11 different sapiens on the planet at once. There wasn't just the Homo sapiens who is us. And it's such an interesting concept about where money came from, rules, laws, matriarchal versus patriarchal, like how this developed. And it's, Amazing, amazing read. I think I had anyone, not heard of that. Who's the author Sapiens, again? Yuval Harari. Yuval Harari, great. Yeah, if you just put in Sapiens, it's, yep, it's, it's there. one of those. I listened to it twice, which is wow. you know, rare for Okay, now I'm revved up. I'll get it. And then um, Meditations was the most recent one by uh, Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that's the most recent one, I read. Big, big which fan. I was actually blown away by like, I'm not blown away. I mean, I guess a, a re, the same principles apply to just a good life, you know, 2000 years ago, as much as they do today, like yeah. simple, basic practices. Always. It's just like, you know what, if that worked for someone that's Caesar, you know, one of the biggest empires in the world, it can work for John Smith, who, who's just, you know, like us, the average guy that just sits there and 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 uh, just so you know, if I'm trying to think of what edition it was uh, podcast number 101. How to Think Like a Roman Emperor was the author of the book. Donald Robertson was on my podcast. Great one. Okay, wrote that down. Um, what's one job you do even though you hate it, but you do it because you're good at it? Got any of those, Mr. Handy Guy? I guess right now with the houseboats, it would be engine maintenance. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's one of those that I just, I need that 
the mechanic who works at the site so I can be on the business. Whereas right now I'm still in this. It's finding that I've, I've got to find that guy to replace me there. There you go. If there's yeah. any uh, old boat mechanics looking for a retiree job on Lakeside, <laughs> give me a shout. There you go. Do you, have, uh, do you have a favorite swear word? In Canada? Fuck. I can't use the other one, the British you, one. Yeah, I, I know you, Brits, you Brits go way south. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> favorite inspirational quote? So I had a few, but this one actually came about um, from my daughter. It's actually my first ever tattoo that I got matchy with her and we did it as a birthday and it's um make it happen make it happen <laughs> well and you do that so as does she if, oh, i guess now that's my favorite quote since it's written on me yeah <laughs> very good if heaven exists what do you want to hear god say when you get to the gates you're late you're here expected 20 <laughs> years ago <laughs> no I, I don't know something like um oh you're at the right place there you good go job. along those lines yeah room desk your car what do you clean first room Room is in office. Yeah. Room. Oh, well, okay. Well, that's not. Okay. So room. So you just like to keep your office neat and tidy. Some level of organization. Okay, I mean, it does organized. get, it's my organization. It's not sure. necessarily everyone else's. Do you have a favorite tune? Favorite tune or my, um, it's by Junior Sanchez. It's a dancing, it's a dance tune and it's, um, I'm trying to think of the name of it. Are you it's, it's my go-to when I need to get hyped. Uh, That's the one. I, I actually learned that from a Tony Robbins thing. It's like, what's your song? Who have you got to become to get in that right state? Mm-hmm. And that's the one I put on. So, ah, Okay, so it wasn't Bon Jovi. So that's great. No, no. Fa- favorite movie? I think Star Wars was in the one, that imp- the originals. So that's one that impacted my life. But anything that's got a good twisty plot where you got to think and you got to explain to the person sitting you, next to you you got to go back and watch the original star wars you know and, and it, i always remember when i watched it how it was just like wow it's so cool and you go back there now and it's just the hokiest <laughs> thing you can ever watch yeah, no, it's like, really? <laughs> wearing plastic imagine the suits and the people in docks and <laughs> flying their thing. <laughs> and gary what are you grateful for i think just being alive today mm. i think you know we live in such an amazing time in an amazing country um, despite everything that is perceived to be going on, I think we still have great opportunities and we have, we've got a lot to be grateful for in life. I agree. I'm grateful for uh, knowing you. I'm grateful for having you on the show today. Always appreciate the time that I get to have a, at least a quick chat with Gary and or your wonderful and beautiful wife, Chrissy. So thank you so much for joining me today. No, thanks, Patrick. And, you know, like I said, I, I've, I feel like, you know, I've always admired you as a person. I've admired this show and to actually be part of it, it's like, it's quite an honor. So I was really looking forward to it. I was actually up really early today, earlier than normal. She's like, oh, you're up. I'm like, yeah. What? We're doing a show. <laughs> Me too. I always on show days. I always yeah, get up. No, it, it, it is a real honor to be here. And yeah. yeah, like I say, you're someone I've always admired and thank you for being you. Appreciate the compliment and thanks very much, Gary. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.